0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Now, when I say gather, I mean it in the digital safer-at-home, social-distancing sort of way, because unless you have just arrived in this historical moment, like from another dimension or another era, you know that we are in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, and therefore we need to be staying home and being shuttered at home, and this is why, Hannah, we are gathering, but virtually, because we don't, we can't be too close. Well, I would like to be close with you, Erin. Mm-hmm like
2: to think that over the years we've developed our own closeness, even at a distance. So I do feel like we've got a little bit of an inside track on this moment. I mean, even here in Persuasion, we've been at a distance
1: for, what, four years? Right. We're ahead of our time. <laughs> ahead of the time in terms yeah. of you need to be at home and keeping yeah. your distance. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to see how... Um, some folks have shifted perhaps more easily into this season, mm-hmm. of self-isolating um, than others. And, and we also want to just nod to all those folks who are doing essential work.
1: Yeah. Of us
2: and, and allowing and giving us the ability to be at home so we can do our part. But I do see that some folks, this has been like an easier transition for them than for others. Yeah, definitely. One mm-hmm. thing I know in my own family, my kids are home now, which they hadn't been, but I've been working from home for kind of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've talked about this on Persuasion, you know, in our series over the last fall, talked about work. Uh, but one thing that I've noticed is that my peers that are usually in an office aren't keeping the same pace they were before. And so I have become the annoying one sending out emails who on their end are more accustomed to working perhaps typical office hours. Mm -hmm. I was already atypical. (laughs) Like, I'm like, what's your problem? Come on, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. the, The pattern of working out of your home office is way different than working within an office. It's just different. And I think that mirroring of of what it's like to be in a different space and with different parameters, we're feeling that across the board. It's not just work. I think it's everything. So much has changed. And all of us are sort of scrambling in one space or another to figure out how are we going to live life now that we I have our entire society is changing gears, and it's so hard in the work sense. It's hard in the family sense. It's hard with school. I mean, it's hard just to get things done in terms of um, community responsibilities. There are so many things to think about, and when everything is changing all at once, it's just almost utter chaos, maybe not chaos, but it feels chaotic at least internally because we all knew how things were supposed to be and now we don't know how anything is supposed to be. We've got to change it all up. And uh, that has caused, I think, a lot of anxiety. That's what I'm seeing and hearing and actually what I'm also feeling. There's just a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and things just don't feel the same anywhere.
2: I've been struck by the layers of what's happening. So as you talked about, there is, um, you know, the actual virus, there's the actual medical process of fighting it and people who are on the front lines there, there is the thing. Then there's everything around. Yes. Yep. Because the majority of us have not contracted it or we're not seriously ill. Um, we may know someone who has, or we may have lost someone already, but for the majority of the population, we're experiencing not the virus, but the thing around it, which right. is all of the social disruption, the economic disruption, and quite frankly, the emotional and spiritual disruption of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and and that's really the thing of it, whereas there are tragedies that we can um, let's say grieve from afar if you're not part of that immediate happening. But this is something that is worldwide and we are all being touched in some way. And I think it has heightened. Uh, everyone's sensitivity. And in a good way, we all need to be, you know, on board and and connected with how is this affecting everybody. But I've heard so many people say things like, and kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way on Twitter, like, I'm tired of being part of a major historical event. Like, we're all part of this major historical event. And there's no playbook for a pandemic in our era. Like, we don't know how to do this. And I think that is the part that most of us are dealing with is, ooh, it's here, and we're being affected, and we don't know what's going to happen next, and we don't know who will get it next. And so all of those things together are creating this atmosphere of unrest and unease. And we've got to dig into these things and kind of sort out, what are we going to do with all these emotions and these concerns and these fears? And I hope that we're going to be able to do a little bit of that here in this new series.
2: Yes, we would like to invite listeners. We all know that you have time on your hands now to listen. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) all that time. (laughs) Not all of you.
2: Some of you. I do want to be clear. Some of you are working essential jobs. Um, But we have this moment to think through what is happening, what we're all experiencing. And I love what you said, Erin, that um, in some way or another, we're all affected by this, even if we wanted to escape it.
0: Mm-hmm. Even
2: if we aren't sick, there is a disruption that we are all involved in. And one of the things that I see across the board um, is that we're all kind of grappling with it in our own mm-hmm. way based on whatever our particular set of circumstances
0: mm-hmm.
1: and
2: dynamics are. And even as you and I were, were talking about, well, what could we speak into this moment or what could we say into this moment, um, for persuasion listeners. At first it was really hard because it was like, well, it really depends on where you are in your home, where you are in your job, you know, where you are geographically. And at first it seemed like, well, this is just all too much mm-hmm. to process.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But then as we talked, some things really did kind of come to the surface about ways to make this a productive conversation, not only between you and me, um, but for listeners more broadly. And one of the things we wanted um, to differentiate was, okay, as we said, there's this virus, there's this physical threat, but there's also this larger opportunity to examine how we're responding to the stress regardless of what that stress is doing or how Mm -hmm. it's particularly embodied in your life, we are all under this unique moment of anxiety and stress, and it's eliciting both reactions and responses. But I think there's also opportunities here.
1: Oh, certainly. Anytime something like this happens where there's upheaval, um, obviously stress, anything where there's change, that is always for me a key time to see myself in with more clarity and to see what's going on around me and i think there's something about that that shake up that tends to clear your vision a little bit um, Sometimes you don't like what you see, but it does tend to give you a little bit of insight on, oh, I do these things, and usually they're masked by my daily routine. But then when your daily routine becomes completely scrapped, you realize, oh my goodness, I was doing these things in this certain way. And it it helped me to cope. And now that's gone. And so there are these things that we find that are actually a bit of a benefit when everything changes. And we have this opportunity to look at what are my reactions and responses in this moment? And how can I learn something more? Um, How can I grow a bit? Where do I see the places where maybe I can Operate in greater health, emotional, mental, physical, whatever. And those are the sorts of things that I'm looking forward to exploring in this series.
2: Right. And so for the next few episodes, we're going to be embarking on a series entitled Growing Viral Wellbeing in the Age of Corona. And over the course of this five, six part series, we're going to be talking about the different potential responses both that we're seeing in our own lives, but we're seeing um, mirrored more broadly across social media and in the national conversation. And we really want to look at those responses, kind of interrogate them a little bit Mm -hmm. and ask the question, what's underneath this? Where is this coming from? How could this be potentially beneficial? Where could it, you know, perhaps skew and cause us to head into a not so healthy place? And ultimately, we want to ask, how can this be used, these, these initial responses and coping mechanisms that we turn to, how can they maybe propel growth? Mm-hmm. How could they be leveraged for greater self-awareness and
1: ultimately
2: um, greater personal growth?
1: Well as we get started on this Hannah something that you mentioned earlier I think is a great place to start you you mentioned how circumstances will tend to dictate your responses because those things are shaping your own set of difficulties and your own set of, um, I guess, restrictions or parameters because of how we now need to live. So you had mentioned the essential workers and how someone who is in that situation, their life and their response right now looks so different compared to somebody else's. And I think that we obviously want everyone to realize we know your circumstances are different. But within those circumstances, I do think another thing that is a key marker for showing how you respond is personality. Definitely how you respond to stress and to a crisis. It can be parsed out based on personality. So for instance, if you are really good under pressure, you are probably going to see this as something to conquer and you're going to be ready to go in with your plan. Whereas if you're not good under pressure, you might think, I think now it is time to hibernate and to hide until this whole thing is over. And so your personality is going to shape and frame how you even initially have a reaction to these things that are going on.
2: Right. And that can even be within a household oh yeah totally like i am a good in a crisis wake up what's the problem let's fix it let's get the plan all right we need to stock up i probably would be a prepper if left to my own anxiety (laughs) like we need to have a budget we need to lock down everything
1: (laughs) that's hilarious
2: (laughs) is much more driven by peace and beauty And kind of this internal wholeness. And so he wakes up and he reads the news and he sees that all these people, new contaminations, new people dying. And he closes the browser and he says, you know what this calls for? This calls for homemade bread. Yes. This calls for (laughs) eggs benedict for breakfast. And he, he honestly, this is his response mechanism in a really positive way. It's to bring beauty and goodness and small acts of kindness into a world that has been overturned while I'm over here like General Patton mar- marshaling the <laughs> troops.
1: <laughs> well, Hannah, the the video that you shared with me and our listeners, I'm gonna link it up there, and maybe you've all seen this. It's um, enneagram types under quarantine. And now I I know we've mentioned this before. I am a nine, so as this video plays, it goes through each of the enneagram numbers and their responses. So I had to watch all of them to get to the nine. And but, but nines are the most. Nines are the most patient, though, right? (laughs) I was patient and I was amused. I thought, oh, these are so funny, so funny. And then you got to the nine. And I have to say, I was a little irked because Hannah, one of the comments was something like, well, I already take a daily nap, but I've been considering a bi daily nap, and now seems the right time to start. And I was just like, hey, I do like naps I don't get naps daily I really wish I did I did but I was a little bit like don't be mocking my napping as the escape mechanism because that felt a little bit too close to home for me but I do think that that personality sense of like um, for a nine who is like let's have comfort and calm and let's rest yes I do feel that way like hey we're at home or we're supposed to stay at home this is great I have books to read that I've been wanting to read. There are movies I've been wanting to watch. I feel okay with it. But my husband is um, highly extroverted. And he needs lots of energy from people. And I could tell on days when he's not had enough people interaction, he's just dragging and just feeling really lethargic. And I find that to be um, interesting. Like, I don't quite get it, but I feel sad for him because this is really affecting him and his energy level because he's not with people enough.
2: Another thing I've seen floating around, and maybe you've seen this as well, is um, how different characters in... TV shows or movies would respond to this yes. moment. <laughs> and, and that gets to the same thing, I think, as the Enneagram um, video does. It's that we have these characters in, on TV or movies, and they're very scripted. Mm-hmm. They're very well-developed. We know who they are. They're predictable. We know how they're going to respond. And you just have to drop them into this kind of pre-constructed, Um, setting and then let them go. And they're going to do exactly what you think they would do in that moment. And as I was reading um, some of these kind of fan fiction scenarios, I was like, yes, that is exactly (laughs) what that person would do. Yes, absolutely. And, And what was kind of
1: interesting and both unsettling about that is it was so predictable. Yes. I was going to say that is the thing that's a comfort, isn't it? We know what's going to happen because these people, we've seen them, their characters, we know what their uh, personality would lead them to do and to say. And we love seeing that play out because it's like something we know and something we can count on. <laughs> these characters are going to be who they say they are. <laughs> I love that. I'll, I'll make sure I get some of those other things linked up in the show notes, too, in case people haven't seen them, because they are so funny. And we need that right now. We need a little bit of an outlet. Some of these funny things about personalities or TV shows, um, all of these things give us a sense of understanding who we are and what's happening in the midst of these crises.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
2: In some sense, these are really comforting things about these characters and about our own reactions. Because like you said, Aaron, they're predictable Um we have a sense of stability it it is funny it's also it helps us feel a little safer because not everything has been turned upside yes everyone is acting as they should (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think there's a flip side to that coin that has also been a little unsettling to me as I've watched responses and as I've watched the responses even within my own heart Um, and I think that Tends toward the nature of elliptic scenarios to be revealing. Mm. So on the one hand, it is really comforting to know that people will be who they are. On the other hand, it's really disturbing to know that people will be who they
1: are. (laughs) Yes, this is so true. It's almost like these scenarios just give you new ways to be. Maybe you're not best self. Um, and because I've read some stories where you think, what are people thinking? And you realize, okay, it's just a new scenario, but there are still some dark things happening in the world and they are going to keep happening, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. Right. I think one of the things
2: that immediately comes to mind about people's behavior being consistent is even some of the price gouging. Oh yeah. Heard stories of people buying up masks or hand sanitizer or toilet paper and then trying to sell it um, on Amazon for these exorbitant prices, and like everybody's mad at that, and they see that as this horrible thing. How could you do that in a crisis? And I'm like, that happens all the time. Right. And That all the time. Yes. People are are always jacking up prices. We mm-hmm. just see it. And I think the expectation that in a crisis, people would somehow stop doing and being what they've always done and been is what sets us up for disappointment. <laughs> um, I don't think it's morally right to jack up the prices in, in a time of, you no know, crisis. But I also am a little surprised that people are like, you should stop acting the way we have already taught you to act. Um, <laughs>
0: You know, it's almost
2: I mean, but we would
1: hope we would hope that people would rise up and do good things. And we have seen cases of that. But I think it's so funny because I have seen the opposite where people are saying, see, in a crisis, we all band together. And it's like kumbaya and it's all great. And yet there still are these same stories that you're talking about. Like there are the good things and the bad things. And they're both still happening. Like it hasn't changed. Right. (laughs) It's the same. It's the good and the bad in us. Yep. (laughs) I saw this piece in
2: the New York Times recently that talked about the nature of, especially, religious apocalyptic vision or what apocalyptic um, literature storytelling teaches us and, and the way it functions in the world. And one of the things that it does is that it reveals, it strips everything down to reveal what is true at a very basic level. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that we even use that language um, in the Christian scriptures. We say revelation. Mm-hmm. It's our apocalyptic literature. And it is this great unveiling of what was already there. But like you said earlier, our routines or our habits or um, just the comfort that we were able to live in kept us from seeing what was already true, both about ourselves and about society at large. Um, and one of the things that I've seen over and over again is people talking about um, the loss of work or the, the essential workers being the low income workers and how they're so vital in this moment. And one of the best responses I've seen is, yeah, they were always vital. Right, right. You just didn't know it.
1: Yes. It's almost like the sense of like when you were a kid, you didn't realize everything that your parent was doing for you. And then when you become adult, you're like, oh, my gosh, I've got to handle all this stuff. It's like, yes, all of these things are functioning and happening and you benefit from it. And you did not know that these things were happening or you're just sort of aware. You don't realize the, the sacrifice it would take. And so, yes, we're realizing... Who is it that's contributing to the the functioning of society and keeping things moving and rolling? And now when those are the things that are left and we need them to be who they are, great. Now we're acknowledging it. But they were already there. They're already doing all these things. And we're just seeing it now because there's this unveiling like what you've talked about. And I think it's... Striking and, and shocking at times
2: when we see people saying what they've always done and always thought, but they just say it. So even the way in the last few weeks, the conversation has shifted to this kind of false dichotomy between protecting the economy and the loss of life. There are mm-hmm. actual framings of this question as if, well, the economy is so important that, you know what, we might just have to let some people die. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's a false frame. That's a false dichotomy to begin with. The question is not even sound in its formulation. But the fact that people were engaging with it and arguing that somehow wealth and the stabilization of um, the stock market was the greatest good, greater even than protecting life
0: mm-hmm.
2: it was so revealing to say, yeah, you always thought that. Right, right. It's you not your decision <laughs> from that place. And so now that you're saying it in the midst of this national crisis, in a way, it's a gift. It's yes. To hear what you have thought all along.
1: I was thinking about how the way that we respond in the crises of life. It's really just an amplification of our strongly held beliefs that were already there. And it's almost like our theology is revealed in the crisis. And I'm not talking about like our textbook definitions of theology, but I'm talking about like the framework upon which you have built your life. When you are in the midst of these crises, all of a sudden it is revealed and it's it's laid bare so you can see what are the things that are really propping up what I believe and the decisions that I make, and how I think about all of life. This is what I am seeing in this crisis for myself and for society. And I don't like a lot of what I'm seeing. I feel like I have a lot of places where I need to refine and grow. And it's good, but ooh, it's a little painful to see. All right, it.
2: I don't want to talk about myself yet. Because
1: oh, okay. Let's, let's keep
2: okay, talking okay. about how other people are failing.
1: Let's let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs>
2: We can get to our personal failures in a minute, but I really would like to point the finger for a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who else do you want to blame? <laughs> well, one of the things that has also emerged that I think is so telling is this tension between um, our individual rights and the pursuit of the common good.
0: Mm-hmm. I've
2: heard a lot of people talking about this over the last you know, couple years, this idea of the common good being this thing we should strive for. But it wasn't until these moments where that question kind of went from being aspirational to existential, mm. like you will not survive as an individual if you do not seek the common good, mm. you do not seek the dissipation of this virus, if you do not make choices that will keep other people safe. The nature of the virus is such that it will eventually get you. Mm-hmm. I have found it so striking how hard it has been for people to understand that mm-hmm. and how hard it has been for them to give up certain freedom of movement, freedom of business, freedom of, you know, personal decision making on behalf of the common good, even knowing that it's in their best interest at the end.
1: Yeah, but I, I feel like some of that is... Almost like it's hard to come to grips with the fact that, oh, this really will come to visit me. And I don't, I I mean, I have a hard time with it, too, because it's hard to see it. Um, Right now, it's not in my house yet. Um, It's in my community. And there have been some people I have like two degrees of separation from who have lost loved ones. But it's far enough out where it feels like, oh, is it really going to come? Through my front door. And I think there's that questioning that's going on where it's this unseen thing that we think we can get away from and we can rationalize that, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And then by the time you realize that it can, that's when it's too late because of the nature of how this thing spreads. So I think there's this rationalizing that's going on in our brains where we think, but the common good is out there. And as long as the things are good with me, then it must be okay. That's tough. That's a really tough thing to break in terms of our mental rationalization with this um, virus. And what's striking
2: too about that is that it's inevitable that it will be broken.
1: Right. So Mm -hmm. We
2: can play all the mind games we want with ourselves and our categories and our coping mechanisms. But there is this certainty, there is this inevitability about the way um, th- this crisis is going to play out. Mm-hmm. You run up against reality really quickly so that, yes, right now it may not be affecting you and you are welcome to go about your life and do whatever you want. But if you do that two, three, four months from now, it will circle round. And it will be on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is so healthy for us to be trapped by reality. Yes. Mm-hmm. We cannot um, deny what is happening. We will have to face it at some point. And I think um, for me personally, that has been such a good um, shock to my system. Mm-hmm has been a really essential, uh, you know, it's really forced us to get serious and get clear-eyed really, really quickly.
1: Mm -hmm. Same here. And I think even making the decisions um, to adhere to the guidelines when In the moment my heart wants to do something else Um, my sister's 50th birthday is actually today the day we're recording and i want to go see her and i want nothing more than to have a little bit of time with her to chat with her face to face You you know months ago i thought oh we're gonna go do all this party stuff it'll be great but we can't do that and In the moment, I just think, oh, what if I just went over there and we hung out for a little bit, I could take our cake, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, no, you have to say no right now so that the common good down the road in a couple months, we will be able to freely be able to hang out and socialize and go back to some of those routines. And so... Recognizing that these things have to be this way and making the choice, it's still so hard, because your heart wants to say, oh, but I just want to do this one thing. But if everybody just does that one thing, then the common good is completely shot. And so, yeah, you're, you're bringing up some really good points here, Hannah, about how do we view the common good? And do we realize that we contribute to it with every action that we take? That's hard.
2: Right. And that just brings us right back to the question that we want to look at in this series, which is how do our responses and our reactions um, both play into this larger social thing that's happening around the virus? Mm -hmm. They formed by it as well. And is there a way to break this cycle? Is there a way to um, move from reaction um, to positive response? And how can we Um, pause long enough to even evaluate and explore what's truly going on in our heart. Because I think it's these deeper values and these deeper dispositions toward the world that are going to guide us if we just are on autopilot Mm -hmm. in place. And they're going to direct and dictate our actions unless we come up against something that allows us and gives us the opportunity to see
0: Mm
2: -hmm. more clearly. And I think this is what's happening for us in this moment. If we will let it be, if we will let it happen, we have this opportunity and this space to ask ourselves some really significant questions about our responses and our reactions.
1: And because we have several of these conversations lined up coming at this topic from a couple different angles, like we always do. Uh, We are crafting this whole series to drop all at once. I'm sure you've seen that, listeners, that they are all there ready for you. And so each of these episodes um, is going to touch on a different angle and a different aspect of what does it mean to grow in the midst of this crisis. And uh, we hope you'll keep on listening and keep with us through each of the conversations. And we'd love to hear what you're thinking.
2: And because we're dropping them all at once, we'll probably be in different stages of the conversation um, as we process through this. But we felt like it was really important to just deliver this as a whole and not necessarily let it stretch out over the next several weeks. Um, In part, because different people are going to be experiencing this differently. As we said earlier, your circumstances, your personality, um, there's all kinds of different potential responses in this moment. And we wanted to make sure um, that we were able to bring this conversation to you in a complete package. Um, and we would love to hear uh, how you're processing through this moment. As always, you can join us um, on Twitter at PersuasionCAPC or in the Christ and Pop Cultural Members Forum, which Got a lot more activity recently. It
1: has. There's a lot going on in there. (laughs) We'd love to see you in there or on Twitter. Come talk to us about what you're thinking, how you're doing in the midst of the pandemic. And um, we'd love to encourage you and just to hear how you're doing. We do so appreciate that you'd listen to Persuasion and we will catch you next time.
0: You have been listening to Persuasion with Erin Straza and Hannah Anderson. An official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at Christandpopculture.com/slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party. With the help of world-class historians, subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.